Welcome to Case Closed, the show where the bad guy doesn't get away with it. From Macmillan Podcasts, I'm Charlie Spicer. And I'm Christy Westgard. Last episode, we took you to the scene of the crime. Barbara Weaver is found dead in her bed, her chest pierced by a single bullet. Detectives Michael Maxwell and John Chuhi begin gathering evidence and interviewing her children and the neighbors. Eli is away on a fishing trip when he hears the news. Was this fishing trip innocent? Or a pre-planned alibi? If it wasn't Eli, who was in Barbara's bedroom that night? And why would anyone want to kill a devout mother of five? Today, we're looking for our motive. What were Eli and Barbara's lives like within the Amish community? This is really a story of contradiction. Barbara and Eli were vastly different people with vastly different priorities. And these differences are at the heart of this case. Before we begin, though, just one quick note. A lot of the information about Barbara and her marriage to Eli that you're about to hear comes from Barbara's diary, letters she wrote to a counselor, and from firsthand accounts from Barbara's sister, Fanny. We're going to have voice actors fill in for these parts since the Amish don't look favorably upon filming or recording. We'll also have Greg jump in as he spoke to many of the people who knew Barbara and Eli when he was writing his book, A Killing in Amish Country. He also has a strong sense of the Amish community and how Barbara and Eli fit within this wider group. So let's get started. Barbara was born a member of the Dan Gamay Amish, which literally translates to Dan Church. Now, the funny story is that this church was founded by a bunch of ministers, all named Dan. But Dan Gamay is more of a nickname for what is more formally called the Andy Weaver Amish. Barbara never veered from her Andy Weaver Amish traditions. She attended an Amish school until she was in the eighth grade. At that point, she left the school to help with housework and her family's farm. And this is pretty typical for an Amish girl. The law says they only have to go to eighth grade. But most of their education is in one-room schoolhouses, and they are just like at a little house on the prairie. They look just like that, where all grades are together, and the kids are helping each other. And I've been in one of those classrooms. It's it's just like you would imagine if you were, you know, half-pint from Little House. <laughs> you would kind of remember that. The other part about it, though, is a lot of the education is at home, of course. There's the religious part but there's also running the farm or running the business. And boys are the leaders. There's no doubt that girls in the Amish country are really educated toward being a wife. Now, this part surprised me. After a very formal childhood, Amish teens are actually allowed to have a period of exploration called Rumspringa, which we talked about a little bit in the last episode. It's this concept of Rumspringa, or literally running around. It usually starts at age 16 and can last until the mid-20s. And it's allowed because these teens aren't yet baptized. So it's sort of like an in-between space for Amish youth. Because they're not baptized, they're not under the ordnung or the rulebook for the Amish. So there's freedom to try new things, like wearing non-traditional clothing, driving cars, or drinking alcohol. You know, I've seen Amish buggies, you know, kind of tricked out for, you know, a young Amish kid on a room spring a moment where, you know, they're hanging stuff on their buggies and doing things that they wouldn't do that way. 
you know, they'd put all that kind of stuff from Pennzoil or whatever stickers on their on their buggy to make it look more of our world than theirs. But mostly it's, you know, it's going to the fast food places for a lot of them. It's going out into the city, and this would be like Akron or Canton. Um, they're looking around, they're experiencing what the outside world is like. If you remember, Barbara had a pretty tame room Springer. I suppose the wickedest thing she did was read romance novels. But friends of Barbara say she was devoted and happy with where she was. She wanted to get baptized, be married, and have kids. She thought she'd found the perfect partner in Eli. The couple had been married for 10 years before Barbara's death. But let's rewind to the beginning of their romance. Barbara and Eli's meeting story is simple enough. They knew each other as children. Around 18 years of age, Eli started spending more time with Barbara. Basically, he was courting her. Now, romance for Amish teens means riding around country roads in a horse and buggy, talking, and getting to know one another. They have these Sunday events called singings, where Amish teens from all over come together for dinner, singing, and mingling. Eli and Barbara married a year later, so that would be around 1999, in a traditional Amish ceremony. Barbara wore a handmade royal blue dress with a white cape and an apron. And for the first time, she wore a white cap instead of the black ones that unmarried women wear. As for Eli, he was in this homemade dark suit and a white shirt. Now, I want to discuss some cultural norms around Amish marriages. They follow mostly traditional gender norms. So men are the breadwinners. They usually farm or work another job to make money for the family. Meanwhile, the woman's place is the home, taking care of the children. You honor God by honoring your spouse is a common phrase among the Amish. And a rule in the Ordnung is that wives submit to their husbands. It's not, you know... Uh, just a wife, of course, it's a lot more than that. It's, you know, assisting their husband in running the farm and doing all the things that need to get done. But it also means having lots of kids. And Amish women, you know, have, have as many kids until they can't have any more. So it's not unusual to see a, a family of like 12 kids. There's no option, really, for Amish girls to do any more than being a wife and mother um, and assisting in the family business, whatever that is. You know, they work hard and, you know, they run the house. They do all of that, but that's it. They're, you know, their husbands have more freedom. Their husbands meet up and, and you know, that Amish gossip line is as much a male thing as a female thing. So, really... I would say, you know, a young girl in Amish country is just going to be, you know, a wife, a mother, and that's it. Plus, divorce is considered a sin, so it can feel a bit like a catch-22 if you're in a bad marriage. Now, to be fair, it's not like the church set out to create this sort of situation. The intent was for couples to take their marriage vow to God very seriously. And when two good people find each other, this level of commitment can be good for a relationship. But if you're in a bad marriage, this can be like a prison sentence. And things for the Weaver household weren't going very well at all. Where did my friend, love, trustworthy husband go to? He hates me to the core. 
Divorce is a big deal in any culture. It's sad and it happens. And it happens in Amish country too. Barbara Weaver's good friend, Ruby, the parents divorced and they ended up, you know, being shunned. Um, it's, it's what the Amish do when they don't like what someone has done, when they have gone against the rules of the order. And I think that really played with Barbara Weaver a lot. I think maybe it made her try even harder when things weren't good with Eli to stay because she'd seen firsthand what it was like. After the break, we take a closer look at Eli Weaver and what secrets remained hidden behind closed doors. Stay tuned for more. Before the break, we heard about Barbara Weaver and her marriage to Eli Weaver. But who was Eli? At this point, it sounds as though he were a pretty absent husband and father who inconveniently or conveniently, happened to be out fishing around the time his wife was killed. While these details are suspicious for sure, they're not incriminating. It took tedious questioning of Eli's neighbors for the police to get a clearer picture of the man behind the bowl cut, shaggy beard, and soft brown eyes. Here's what they found. Growing up, Eli was a charmer who could talk himself out of trouble. This came in handy when he'd get into things like drinking or using technology like his radio and his camera. It was more a case of really sampling what technology had to offer. You know, he didn't have access to a telephone or a computer before this period of time. And it just kind of carousing around. It wasn't unusual for Amish men to do these things during the Rumspringa, but Eli continued even after he was baptized into the church at 21. Eli Weaver was just stuck between these two worlds, and I think in a way he viewed getting back into the Amish like a revolving door. At 27, he took over his father's fishing and hunting supply shop called Maysville Outfitters. Even though the business was successful, Eli often left bills unpaid, like the 9000 he owed to print a fishing magazine for his store. And he used money to control Barbara, too. He'd often withhold money from her and for necessary things. But her Amish traditions made it impossible for her to establish any financial independence. So Barbara started thinking about divorce, something she never would have imagined for herself. He wants me to be the submissive little wife, and I want to be, but what's right counts more. But very strict customs make divorce almost unthinkable for Amish women. For one, women aren't allowed to remarry until their former husband dies. Plus, they are likely to be ostracized by their neighbors. Barbara saw no way out. Beyond the money problems, Eli failed to act like an Amish husband should. He was selfish and obsessed with sex. He was arrogant and condescending. He was controlling. Their children even witnessed him shoving and grabbing Barbara. But here's the catch. The Amish rules made this her fault. If she reported his conduct to the bishops, they wouldn't pressure Eli into cleaning up his act or tell him to give her access to money to feed her children. Instead, they would have said this. What did you do that your husband would treat you like this? Before Barbara could think about a divorce, however, Eli did the unthinkable. He left his community and his family for another woman who was not Amish 
Over the spring and summer of 2006, Eli lived among the English with her. Barbara took this opportunity to move her and the kids closer to her sister Fanny in the town of Apple Creek. But Eli eventually did return. He begged forgiveness from his church leaders and from Barbara, and they eventually let him come back too. His neighbors were wary, but they were hopeful for the Weavers. Barbara and Eli used the fresh start to move into a place in Apple Creek they rented from Eli's father, and Eli started running Maysville Outfitters. Barbara asked her sister Fanny to keep her children for a while so she and Eli could work on their relationship, which Fanny agreed to. But soon, Eli was consumed with work, and his job put him in contact with the English. He even got a cell phone from one of his business partners. So he started slipping back into his old ways. He was always off fishing or hunting, and he'd begun using his cell phone to indulge in affairs with women he met on internet chat rooms who could give him what Barbara wouldn't. Fanny would later tell police that beyond shoving and grabbing her sister, Eli could also be rough and coercive in bed. He insisted on oral sex and could be forceful when he didn't get what he wanted. Barbara had strong religious beliefs against it, but Eli was persistent. All of his problems were her fault, and I know he wanted her to do sexual things that were against her beliefs. Barbara sought out the only real option she felt she had. She found a counselor. The counselor was Mr. Dwayne Troyer. He worked for a counseling practice that specializes in Amish and Mennonite clients. Barbara began writing him these really pure and just devastating letters. I know oral sex is wrong, yet if he asks me to kiss him there, that's all wrong too? I'm embarrassed to ask, yet I need guidelines, and I don't know where to turn. Could you please send me some answers? But send them to my sister's address, as Eli would be upset if I came here. Barbara Weaver was doing everything she could to hang on to that marriage. There are letters there that are that she sent, and a diary, and things that she kept, that really show you what was going on in that marriage. And, and basically, she didn't feel like her husband loved her. You don't often get direct words from the victim. And I think there's a poignancy. You know, you can't help but be moved by her predicament when you read those diary entries. One day, Eli found out and demanded she stop. But Barbara didn't. This was one thing she lied about to Eli. As a disclaimer, Amish customs frown on talking about oneself. So counseling is uncommon. But it shows just how desperate Barbara was to go against her beliefs and her husband. Her words were clearly a cry for help. We have so little left of Barbara, really only these letters, and they contain some of the most damning evidence against Eli's credibility. Barbara would begin each letter with the same salutation, greetings in the name of our Lord, and then she began to share her story. When we look at the group, we think they're all Stepford wives of some kind, you know, they're all the same because they act the same and from a distance, they all appear the same. So they're all clothed in the identical way. They all look the same, right? Their hair is the same. And I think we tend to look at them as a group and not as individuals. And those diary entries from Barb Weaver really indicate what was going on behind the bonnet and all that stuff that we don't normally consider. 
I feel like our intimate life is on hold and has been for so long that without counseling for us both, how can I ever heal knowing his past adultery? Here, Barbara is talking about Eli's affairs after he would return from that first escapade out of Amish country. Because surprise, surprise, it turns out Eli left to live amongst the English one other time. I feel sometimes like all he wants is his relief. But even when he returned to Barbara the second time, he kept cheating. One time he was caught having sex with a secret girlfriend in his supply store. And Barbara would sometimes find his love letters to other women. She lived with this deceit and embarrassment for an entire decade. It makes you wonder how Barbara could have stayed with Eli. Sure, it's easy for you and I to say, well, how bad could divorce be compared to this? But it's also impossible for us to imagine how much pressure Barbara was under to be a wife. There are the practicalities of needing to care for her own children, which would be near impossible as a single Amish mother. But there's also these deep-seated beliefs that she has. I read in a diary entry that she had that she genuinely believed Eli had been taken by Satan. This isn't the end of it. When Satan gets hold of a person, he isn't going to let go easily. Was he a man possessed or just a man caught between two worlds? On our next episode, we'll look at the man Eli presented to the world outside of the Amish community. What was he doing when he would disappear for hours on end? And we'll see what Barbara knew of his forays through her detailed letters and her journals in the months before the end of her marriage. What hides behind closed doors? That's next time on Case Closed. Case Closed is a production of Macmillan Podcasts. It's hosted by Charlie Spicer and Christy Westgard and produced by Christy Westgard. Scripting support was provided by Becky Celestino. Production editorial support is provided by Jasmine Faustino. Be sure to check out Greg Olson and Rebecca Morris's book, A Killing in Amish Country, for more about this case. You can find more information about Macmillan Podcasts at macmillanpodcast.com. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N podcast.com.